Welcome to another exciting real interview on Real Nerds Podcast. We are sitting down with Glenn, who made Midget Zombie Takeover. Listen to an independent filmmaker make a film on a micro budget and have fun doing it. And listen to us interview him. Enjoy. We have a special guest with us, and it's always fun to have a special guest for the second time on this podcast, <laughs> and you are the only returning guest <laughs> against your own will. Why don't you introduce our wonderful listeners to yourself, sir? I am Glenn Burgetts. I'm the writer and director of Midget Zombie Takeover, which is screening in Denver on May 2nd. Where at? At the Oriental Theater, starting at 7 p.m. Excellent. That's a great theater. That is a really cool theater. So, Glenn, you're a filmmaker. And why don't you tell us a little about your journey to become a filmmaker, what got you interested into making films, and eventually led you to Zombie Midget Takeover? Yeah, I always just wanted to be a writer, had no desire to make films, and I'd written over a dozen scripts, and I couldn't get anyone in L.A. to look at them, let alone turn them down. And uh, so I was talking a few years ago, gosh, it's got to be about six years ago or so, with a guy who used to work at Disney. And we met one day uh, talking over coffee, and he said, yeah, no one in L.A. will ever read any of your scripts because we don't know who you are. And he said, if you want to do anything in the film world, he said, you got to start making your own films. So I read a book about it, uh, well, part of a book about it, and uh, <laughs> six weeks later, I made my short, first short film, and I uh, made a couple shorts to figure out what the heck I was doing, and since then, Midget Zombie Takeover is my sixth feature film. Wow. Yeah. So you... you produce films pretty quickly then did you have these scripts already pre-written is that why you're able to make them so fast and or did just the love of making films just start blossoming yeah i still have those uh 12 other scripts actually it's up to 14 now because they would actually require a budget to make them <laughs> and my films i've made for anywhere from 800 to two thousand dollars the feature films and uh i were able to shoot quickly because i write scripts specifically to be shot quickly and on a small budget i will when i come up with an idea i'll have the locations in mind usually just one or two so we can a lot of times we just move all over the same house and uh, i usually keep the the cast pretty small for the most part though with midget zombie takeover with those little <laughs> zombies running around uh the, the cast got a little big at times uh, pun intended <laughs> well it was, a, it was literally small <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i typically write the scripts uh to be made Shot very quickly, few locations, few cast members, and that keeps costs down and keeps the shoot going quickly. Very cool. So what what's the name of your first film, then, if you don't mind me asking? The first feature film I did that was completed, because we shot a film and it took years to get edited, uh, the first completed one was Therapist, spelled P-I-S-S-E-D, about <laughs> uh, Greg Niemer, a Denver actor, was the star of it, did a great job, and he played a very angry psychologist who uh, took out his problems on his patients. So what would you say your influence as a filmmaker is? Do you gravitate towards somebody and you try to emulate them, or do you have your own style? Uh, I am completely unique. No. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. For the most part, I've just loved comedies. Uh, you put Leslie Nielsen in a film, I'm watching it. Steve Martin, John Candy. And I do mostly comedies. We, we've done a couple of psychological thrillers as well. Uh, but for the most part, I typically have Leslie Nielsen, John Candy, Steve Martin floating around in my head. Like, what would they do in this situation, hmm. you know, if they were in the film? And I would have to say that's probably my biggest influence when I'm writing a script or directing a film. Very cool. So then what led you to making a horror movie then? I guess it's a horror comedy. Um, is it just because you like the idea of making a zombie comedy or 
It just came to you one day, and it, that's well, what you wanted to do. Well, no, it's because I'm an idiot. Uh, <laughs> why we made Midget Zombie Takeover? Because years ago, it's got to be about three years ago, maybe even a little more now. Uh, the CEO at a distribution company. I was talking with him on the phone one day about one of my other films, and and he was they were representing it, but having trouble selling it. And he said, you know. He said, if you ever make a film with zombies in it, I can sell it. Or if you ever make a film with women in bikinis in it, I can sell it. And, you know, I'm an idiot, so it took me three years to figure out, wait, I can combine those two things. Let's have a hot tub party with women in bikinis, have zombies attack. And uh, But then I kept thinking, gosh, I, I need to put a little different spin on it. And I was talking with my niece, Christine, one day, and uh, she said, well, why don't you put midgets in there? Make the zombies midgets. Hmm, I kind of like that idea, and thus was born Midget Zombie Takeover. Though I must say, at first it was Little Zombie Takeover uh, until the shoot. Our shooting title was Little Zombie Takeover, uh, but the little people on set who played the zombies, they demanded we call it Midget Zombie Takeover because they said, hey, we're midgets and we're proud of it. That's very cool because, you know, when you hear that title right away, we're in such a PC world. You're saying, whoa, whoa, midget in the title. That has to be a horrible idea, and it's going to be. So that's really cool that you got the I, the idea from the little people that worked on the film for you. Is there a specific person who came up and said, hey, this is the wrong title. It should be midget. Uh, we, we have been banned from one theater that had booked us initially when the title we, we weren't finished shooting the film yet, and we were still going by a little zombie takeover. And they had shown two of my previous films, uh, The Worst Movie Ever and To Die Is Hard at this theater. And they said, yes, when this film's done, we're going to show it. And then when I said, okay, here's Midget Zombie Takeover, uh, they said, yeah, we're not showing that. That is too offensive. So <laughs> I yeah, okay, sorry. And they have not shown us. Well, we've been banned. Comedy's supposed to push boundaries. It is. It's <laughs> supposed to push, totally push boundaries. So... How long did it take you to make this movie? Was it a, a long process? How did you get actors to be in the movie? Because to me, it sounds like it'd be hard to cast enough little people to be the zombies in it. Was that a hard process or was it seamless and it was sunny and, and rosy? Anything but seamless. <laughs> uh, we shot most of the film in Fort Wayne, Indiana last summer. And there are not a whole lot of little people who are actors and actresses in Northeast Indiana. So uh, our... Our main kind of king zombie was Travis Green, came down from, he actually lives north of Milwaukee, and he's in Dead Man's Carnival uh, out of Milwaukee. And uh, so Travis had to come down from uh, Wisconsin to be our king zombie. We got some other uh, shorter people uh, to play the other zombies uh, from northeast Indiana, northwest Ohio. And... The film shoot itself was very quick. We shot the film over the course of four days, but putting everything together was a challenge because all my previous films I'd shot in Denver. Very easy to find, very talented cast and crew members, get everyone together quickly, get a film shot. I ended up, uh, I got a couple people from Fort Wayne, but I ended up having to expand my reach. We got, we got Travis in from Wisconsin, Dennis Parent, our uh awesome makeup guy who did all the zombie makeup he came down from michigan most of the cast and crews from chicago uh we also got some people from western indiana a bunch of people from northwest ohio uh the crazy guy in the film jonathan hodges who was awesome he came over from northwest ohio to be in the film so it took a little while to get the cast and crew together but once we settled on a date got everyone in there you know boom boom we barreled through two weekends of shooting and the film was done so do you have a, a table read or a rehearsal 
or do you send people the script and say, hey, know your lines because we only have four days to shoot this. So I expect you to know your stuff and be ready to go. Yeah, you nailed it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've never had a rehearsal. I've had a few reads uh, before my films. With this one, I mean, I didn't even get to do auditions in person for the most part, uh, getting people from all over the Midwest, basically, I guess, what, five states uh, people were involved in or from. Uh, so, yeah, people would uh, send me a video uh, audition, oftentimes just taken with their cell phone, and they'd email it to me. Some, uh, a couple of the people, Jewel Kurtz, who plays one of the, the midget zombies, and Jonathan Hodges, who I mentioned, I'd seen them do some theatrical work before. So I just said, hey, do you want to roll? They said yes. I'm like, okay, you're good. You're ready to go. And we got most of the cast and crew together at the house where we shot. I was renting a, a house uh, last summer there in Fort Wayne, and we brought everyone in uh, Friday night. Everyone drove in, and most of them were there Friday night. We did a quick read-through you know, a couple you know, questions were answered and things, and we started shooting first thing Saturday morning, and, and it, it worked out great. You know, everyone stayed at the house. I didn't have money for hotel rooms for anyone, so everyone just stayed at the house. We turned it into summer camp, and uh, it, I found out later, uh, you know, I, we would shoot till 10 or 11 at night, and I'd run up to my bedroom, close the door, turn the air conditioner on so things were quiet other than the air conditioner, and I'd try to get about six hours sleep before getting up to shoot the next day, and I'd get up and, uh, you know, start trying to rouse people, and it took a little effort to get people up, and I eventually found out that basically everyone else was staying up till, you know, three thirty, four in the morning, <laughs> partying, talking, <laughs> carrying on, having a good time, summer camp, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, we'd finally get going about eight or nine in the morning, and you know, shoot for the next, you know, 14 hours or so and do it again the next day. So you shot the movie for only $2,000. Is it hard to find actors that are willing to be in a movie basically for the love of it? Because obviously you can't offer them a lot of money. And also with the crew, too, you have to, you have to find people that are really hungry to make a name for themselves more so than the money. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can typically afford to pay people basically gas and food money. Mm -hmm. I kept them fed. I keep them fed during the shoot. Make sure they have money to pay their you know gas to fill up their tank. And every now and then, if I have a really small cast, I can give them an extra hundred dollars or so. But with two thousand dollars and the bigger cast, yeah, it was basically gas money, a little food money. With the crew members, uh, typically a little bit more. Uh, you know, people who. I guess in independent films, typically you're used to hearing about the star of the film getting five or ten or twenty million dollars. At least in my small budget independent film world, it's the editor who typically gets the most because the editor has to put the most time in. The DP might get a little extra for the extra time they have to put in uh, because you know the crew members they are there every second of the day. <laughs> you know when we're shooting, whereas the cast members they can come and go, relax, get in the hot tub, you know, <laughs> get something to eat, and all when they're not going to be on set for a couple hours. So in a zombie movie, though, too, you need makeup. Is the, Was the makeup a challenge to do on, under your budget, or was it something that was because you had a makeup artist on there? Did he bring his own makeup and you didn't have to worry about super gruesome gags or anything like that? Yeah, we didn't have any of the you know heads exploding or anything like that where they take a bullet in the head and the brains go flying. We didn't have the budget for that. We actually spent about $100 on makeup, and Dennis did a fantastic job uh, making the zombies look good. We've even had a number of the critics who have reviewed the film comment that the makeup looks really good for a, a small budget film. And yeah, we spent about a hundred dollars. Dennis would get each zombie in the chair for, you know, depending on how much makeup, if they were one of the 
the premier zombies or one of the more background zombies, uh, you know, for an hour and a half or so for the, the really thorough makeup and maybe 45 minutes for the, the ones who are more in the background. But Dennis did a great job, cost us about $100 for makeup. Uh, but sadly, because of that, we don't have any, you know, heads exploding, brains splattering all over. So, I mean, but if is it really necessary in the story you're telling? Um, because we talked to you earlier and you said this could probably be a PG-13 movie. So does it, so it must rely more on the comedy than the horror. So how do you blend the two and satisfy the horror crowd? Because you know the horror crowd's going to want to see something that's scary. Is it the girls in the bikinis that satisfies everybody? Uh, for the most part. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. What a joke I just pulled. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, you know, a number of the critics, critics have been calling it a zomedy. And because it is more co comedically based than horror based, the film. And uh, but we do have a couple, you know, good scares. Again, it's not, you know, it's not blood everywhere. We do have a little bit of blood here and there. And uh, but we we tried uh, to take a maybe at times a fresher approach with the zombies. Uh, in one instance, Travis has just picked off one of the bikini-clad women, and typically we're not used to zombies having any sexual emotions <laughs> or feelings, but Travis the zombie, uh, let's just say he gets a little frisky uh, while feasting on a dead bikini-clad woman. <laughs> What's the what's the plot for the movie? If you because <laughs> uh, we've talked about the behind the scenes, so what's the overall plot of the movie? Yeah, it's pretty simple. Uh, some college kids decide to get together for a hot tub party. They're having their fun, and suddenly a whole bunch of little zombies who are hungry for flesh, human flesh, invade <laughs> the party. And the kids have to the college kids have to try to fight off the zombies and see if they can survive and. And uh, hopefully the one fun little twist is they're, all the kids are supposed to be the cool kids. They like each other. But Billy, played by Matt Goose Goosehurst, uh, he's the outcast. He's a big lad, and they make fun of him. But at the end, will it be Billy who saves the day? Uh, does, your, uh, does your film explain where the zombies come from, or is it just like they kind of just happen to be there? They just appear, uh, and we're saving that for hopefully Midget Zombie Takeover 2. And uh, we've already had a number of people say, you got to do a sequel. And uh, Mr. Lobo, the host of Cinema Insomnia, he, he saw the film when we had our world premiere in Virginia in February. And he loved it, and he said he wants to be in the sequel. And, and he said he would love to be the doctor who figures out why these little people are turning into zombies. And I said, well, Mr. Lobo, if you're going to be in the film, I got to get kill you off. Is that okay? He said, you better bloody kill me <laughs> off. So, yeah, so uh, that's where we will explain maybe how, why these little people are turning into zombies. And that's okay, too, because Night of the Living Dead, they never explained where the zombies came from. They just started attacking. They did kind of in the background, so it's more scary when you don't know what's happening. Oh, yeah, it's... it's uh, like with Halloween, with Michael Myers, he's just killing for the sake of killing in the first one. I, I didn't like how, you know, in the, you know, what episode, I guess, four, the fourth one, and they start explaining why he's doing the killing and this and mm. that. Like, hey, just let him kill. That's scarier. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't need a motive. He just wants to kill. That's all right with me. So it's a true independent film because you're touring this all over the place. What's the process for your film being shown at theaters? Because you're doing really an old style where they don't really do it anymore where you take it to them and say hey this is my film will you please show it 
Um, and you're not only in Denver, you're going to Kansas City and a bunch of other places. And what's the process like for that? And how do you make contact for any aspiring filmmakers out there? How do you make contact with theaters for them to show your film? Yeah, a couple of years ago uh, when we had To Die Is Hard completed, uh, my feature film from 2010, we screened it some. It was getting a great response. It, it lampoons Die Hard. And, I was going to say, know, that sounds like Die Hard 6. <laughs> yeah, and we lampoon action films and Die Hard in particular. And we're getting a great response to it. So I just looked up every independent theater I could find in the country. It's truly independent. A lot of theaters are owned by Landmark. And they, you have to go through corporate offices there and all. And, and they don't want to you know, pay attention to anyone like me. I don't blame them. And, uh, but I found that over a hundred truly independent theaters that, you know, it's just some guy or some lady who owns this theater and they like to show films. And I started contacting them about to die is hard. And, you know, probably about, no, it was 25 of them or so said, yeah, we'll take a look at it. And we ended up getting it in four of those theaters. And from there, you know, with the worst movie ever, we ended up getting that in seven different theaters. And I just keep, you know, emailing these people occasional phone call hey you know we gotten some good reviews i always try to get people to review the films and uh if we get a good review i let the theater owners know about it hey people are liking it. if we get a bad review i don't let them know anything <laughs> all about it and uh so yeah with midget zombie takeover we very quickly got a couple of really good reviews and so i hit these theaters up right away hey this is what creep show radio said about us and and the zombie media database and examiner.com and they're they're more apt to give the film a look and uh so yeah they they looked it over and a lot of them are saying well yeah we'll bring it in for a late night screening you know late friday night late saturday night or something and uh but you know we've gotten we're coming up in phoenix may 3rd and 4th actually in tempe arizona at the valley art theater they're showing us prime time friday and saturday night and they had actually talked about possibly showing us for a week so if we do well enough there they might bring us back for a one week run but it's basically just being tenacious without being you know annoying and just letting these theaters know you know hey we got another good review hey we had good box office at this theater you know maybe we'll have good box office at your theater as well why don't you give us a shot and while you know 90 percent of them you know, never respond to the email or just completely ignore me uh yeah the 10 percent you know end up responding get a little relationship going and eventually sometimes i'll show the film so that's, I mean, that helps a lot of um, filmmakers that maybe do it independently because I think now, you know, everything's so corporate that you have to find a way in and that's kind of interesting. So do you also submit it to festivals and and other, you know, festivals, film, review, I don't even know what I'm trying to say, <laughs> besides film festivals, what other kind of festivals could there be where you showcase films? I don't know. Yeah. I, I usually submit each of the films to just a, you know three or four festivals, maybe five at the most, and I tend to submit to those festivals where I know someone there that I want to support their festival, whether they show me or not. At least they get you know the fifty dollars submission fee, and uh, so I, I don't do a lot with the festival route for the most part because with To Die Is Hard, the worst movie ever, and Midget Zombie Takeover, they're not really festival type films. They're just goofy, bizarro stuff. The next film we'll have coming out is The Ghosts of Johnson Woods, and that is a psychological thriller. And that's a film I'll probably push more towards festivals. It seems more of a festival-type film, and hopefully we can get a nice track record going there, maybe get that one in some theaters as well. And uh, But with the festivals, they can get pretty expensive. You know, you start submitting to festivals. Some of them you know, are $7,500 for a submission wow. fee or an entry fee. And... You know, as, as little as I pay for a film, heck, my film's, feature film separate checks we shot for $800. And, you know, if I end up submitting to 20 film festivals, I'll end up spending a whole lot more just to submit to these film festivals than it would cost me to possibly make a whole, 
new feature film. So I kind of have to weigh, you know, how much, it, you know, is it worth, you know, submitting to a bunch of festivals or maybe just a handful. And, and I go from there. When is the first time you knew that maybe you were doing something right as a filmmaker where people wanted to see your film? Was it a good review or is maybe a friend saw it and they enjoyed it or your family was okay with what you were making or when was it, when was the aha moment that maybe I have a voice for film? Yeah, actually uh, I remember the exact moment. I couldn't tell you the day or whatever, but I remember when it happened is the second short film I did was called Guernica still burning. And it's actually a very dramatic film and uh, it's almost a, uh, an experimental film kind of stream of consciousness and it, it follows one man's, you know, spiritual journeys. He's trying to figure out who he is, what he believes. And it's a 22-minute short film. And uh, there are really only two cast members. There, there are two cast members in it. And then the crew was just two people, me and Alan Day Green, who shot and edited it. And as we were shooting it, I thought, this could be pretty good. And uh, when Alan got the edit together and showed me the finished edit for the first time, I remember thinking, my gosh, I actually know how to make a film. This is pretty good. <laughs> and uh, that was when I thought, yeah, I'm going to keep doing this. You know, this is, I, I'm not only having fun doing it, but I think I have a little bit of a clue as to what I'm doing. And I'm certainly learning things all the time. And I certainly take missteps, you know, as all filmmakers do, as all actors and actresses do. And, you know, saying, oh, I want to be in that film. And it turns out to be a complete dud. But it's been basically nothing but a great process. And Guernica Still Burning was the film that, you know, said, yeah, told me that I might know what I'm doing a little bit. Very cool. So, and also, too, just by listening to you, sounds like you don't really have a genre that you latch on to. Is it because you like to challenge yourself with new genres, or is it just you have ideas and you want to make them? It's mostly the ideas thing. I, I'm, comedy's my favorite, uh, and I, we've mostly done comedies. And uh, But I also love horror films, you know, because the great thing with horror films are when they're really good, they're really good, and when they're really bad, they're really good, you know, because <laughs> horror films are sometimes the best ones. And uh, But, yeah, we've done a little bit of drama. Uh, Evil Intent is a psychological thriller we did a couple of years ago that we have a distribution deal for. It's gotten some small VOD deals and things. And, you know, that was great to shoot that film. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier with uh, The Ghosts of Johnson Woods, that was really fun and interesting to make that, to do something a little different. And so basically whatever idea comes to mind, if I, I get an idea, you know, think about it for a few days, a week, two weeks, and I think, well, maybe I can put a script together around that that we could afford to shoot. I'll go ahead and write the script and start putting a cast and crew together. So do you write a script uh, based on the constraints you're going to have with a budget or do you write a script and then adjust it to the budget that you have for the film? Yeah, I write a script knowing I'm not going to have much money to make it because uh, even though, you know, my earlier films have gotten out there as an independent filmmaker, you know, we typically get a small take of the box office because I don't have any clout, you know, with these theaters. <laughs> I can't say, well, Tom Cruise demands this or that. And, uh, so when I write a script, I know it's going to be a small budget film that I usually guess, you know, maybe $1,500. And I just start thinking, well, how many characters do I really need? I try to keep the characters to an absolute minimum, and I try to keep the locations to an absolute minimum. Because every time you have to move to a new location, that's oftentimes another day of shooting. And we, you know, I try to keep the shoot schedules as short as possible. With the worst movie ever, we shot the whole thing in one weekend, a two-day shoot, uh, to get a feature film. And granted, uh, you know... That means some scenes aren't perfect. Same thing with Midget Zombie Takeover taking four days. Sometimes we shoot a, a, a take or a scene just one time, and, hey, that looked all right. Let's move on to the next one. And 
Sometimes you get burned a little bit in, in the edits, uh, trying to figure <laughs> out how to put that back together. But yeah, I typically get an idea, write the script to keep everything as simple as possible so we can shoot it on the small budget. So also, too, then, does that mean you don't have a lot of wasted scenes, I mean, meaning that you don't have a lot of scenes on the cutting room floor to make it? Th- or do you have tons of scenes that are on cutting room floor? We have nothing on the cutting room <laughs> floor because... Uh, Everything you write, you shoot. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it... Ends up it, in the movie. It, it makes its way into the film because, you know, for the most part, to keep these films affordable and to shoot them quickly... You know, we're not making the two-hour and 28-minute long film. We're making films that are an hour and 20 minutes. You know, they're still feature length, but we, we don't have the time and the money to shoot, you know, a two, two-and-a-half-hour film. So, yes, everything that's in the script gets shot and ends up in the final edit. <laughs> Does that help you with characters, though, writing that way? Because you know that you have to keep it so tight that the characters seem to have more depth when you're writing them because you can't, you know, make such... Like a throwaway character, basically, just to be like in a zombie movie, you know, there might be a character who's just killed because it's cool to kill him. Where in, you know, zombie midget takeover, since the cast is so small, you kind of have to give everybody a little bit of meat on the bone. Well, I, I would I would say that with the ghosts of Johnson Woods, because there are only four cast members in the ghosts of Johnson Woods and 90 percent of the film, they're just the two in there. And so they get developed really well. And Midget Zombie Takeover, it's just a bunch of morons doing stupid <laughs> things and getting killed. Uh, there's not a whole lot of character development with that one. Uh, so it depends. And, you know, I, I couldn't do it nearly as much, not that I wanted to, because it was a much bigger cast. And, you know, to try to to give basically nine primary characters some character development in an hour and, you know, 15-minute film while I'm killing them off. And, you know, trying to do some justice to the zombies. Yeah, I didn't worry about character development <laughs> with this film. So in Zombie Midget Takeover, the zombies show up very early and start causing havoc, is what you're saying. Yes, for the most part. And uh, so we don't have a chance to develop a whole lot of characterization. But the last few people who are still alive, uh, uh, Amanda, played by Christy McKay, and and Billy, played by Goose Goosehurst, Matt Goose Goosehurst, and uh, Kedrin Carpenter's character, Daniel Kramer's character. They develop a little bit. Uh, they they grow. Uh, <laughs> they see a little spiritual growth, I think, as as the carnage ensues. And uh, But, yeah, for the most part, yeah, it's not nothing like a, a little seed growing into a mighty oak. We don't have any of that <laughs> in the film. <laughs> So I have to ask if you if I, maybe you don't know the answer. How does he get the nickname Goose Goose? Well, his last name's Goose Hurst, and everyone just calls him Goose. So uh, yeah, Matt said, you know, make sure you put Goose in the credits. I am Matt Goose Goose Hurst. <laughs> that's fine with me. So that's what we went with. So we got the Goose. Very cool. So uh, do you have a question? Looks like I say something. Sorry. What was your, what did you find was your most difficult part of making Midget Zombie Takeover? We have a lot of scenes shot in uh, the house we shot in at four levels and the lowest level was completely underground, no windows or anything. And the more than any other place in the film, we shot more scenes there than anywhere else. And there was no air conditioning down there. There There was heat, but we were shooting in summer, so we didn't need that. And just shooting one scene after another in that seething cauldron... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that got a little taxing at times. We'd have to run out of the room and just cool off for a few minutes, you know, drinking lots of water and all. And and uh, it was really tough for uh, Christy McKay and, and Matt Goose Goosehurst because they, you know, they had the most scenes down there. And uh, so it got pretty sweaty, a little uncomfortable at times, but everyone, you know, kept smiling, kept laughing. So it wasn't that bad. 
And uh, so, yeah, we all had a good time, even with the sweaty hot stuff. So the opposite question is, yeah. what was the most fun you had during the shoot? Well, in the hot tub with bikini-clad women? Yeah, well, I didn't get in the hot tub myself. I only have a brief cameo at the beginning you know, of the film. I was so, so going to ask you if you do a Hitchcock. and are you, are you in all your films, or is it only this one that you're in? I, I was actually the star of To Die Is Hard and The Worst Movie Ever. My other films, I've had smaller roles. This is probably the smallest role I've had in one of the films. I'm just in it right at the very beginning. And uh, the main reason is not that I am you know, have any talent as an actor, but it's one less person I have to pay you know, $50 in gas money to, so it saves a little money. Uh, but the whole thing I, it was really fun. Maybe the funniest moment uh, I had alluded to earlier is when Travis has knocked off one of uh, uh, Anita, uh, Nicole Brown, uh, she's been killed off in her bikini, and Travis, the midget zombie, uh, takes some liberties with her. <laughs> that was rather humorous to watch that scene unfold. And your other movies, uh, like when you're in them and you have to still direct, like is that terribly challenging or? Um... No, I, as a director, I like to trust the cast and crew that they're bringing their own talents to the film because they're all artists in one form or another, both behind the camera and in front of the camera. So I like to let especially the cast members do their thing and interpret their character in their own way. And I'll occasionally say, well, let's try this a little bit differently. But for the most part, I let them do their thing. And so I just I'm just an actor for those 30 seconds or a minute that I'm in the scene. And I just do the acting and. Uh, sometimes I remember to say cut when the scene's done <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'll reshoot it possibly. But I heard an interview a number of years ago with a, an actor who had worked with Spike Lee and he said it was so wonderful to work with Spike Lee because he said Spike would sometimes go a whole day, sometimes two days and basically say nothing. He just let us be ourselves and, and to put ourselves into the character and play the character the way we wanted to. He said it was just so fabulous, you know, to have that freedom uh, with a role. And so I've always tried to keep that in mind that, yeah, let's give these people some credit, you know, and let's let them bring their own interpretation to the role. With Midget Zombie Takeover, I maybe did a little more directing just because over half the cast members had never been in any sort of film at all before, even, you know, a two minute short. And so at times I had to coach them along a little more. Uh, but for the most part, I mean, they all showed up, they knew their lines, they knew what they wanted to do, and they did a great job. So even when I'm in a film, I have been so fortunate to work with really talented people that I can let them do their thing while I'm doing my acting thing and not have to worry about it a whole lot. Are you a stickler for the lines you write? Or is it just, you know, they, as far as open to interpretation, can they create a um, like a, a mood or feeling with their acting, but they still have to stick to the lines? Or is it just open, like it, your script's just a template? Yeah, since every word I write is pure gold, <laughs> I, I, make, I make them stick to it. Uh, for the most part, the actors and actresses, they show up and they know their lines and they stick pretty well to it. One of the actors who would ad lib a bit I've worked with over the years is Greg Niemer, and he's uh, a Denver guy. And Greg would get a little funky with the lines sometimes. And sometimes, you know, we had to reshoot the scene, but there were quite a few times, especially in uh, To Die Is Hard and Separate Checks. He, he played prominent roles in both of those films. He came up with some stuff that was really good that we left in the film. You know, that happened on a film, Me and Him Shot, and it's my favorite brag moment that we were shooting this scene, and I... Nope, nope. This yep. isn't about us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I just want to prove that, you know, sometimes actors are right and directors aren't. Um, I had a question. I forgot it. 
darn, I'm stupid. Um, it'll come back. Ask another question, Brad. It'll come back to me. Um, <laughs> do you own most of your equipment or do you rent? I own. I do own a boom microphone, or I guess the microphone, and, and we duct tape it to a, <laughs> a three wood uh, golf club, and that's what we use for a lot of my films for the sound. Uh, the other equipment, I just have, you know, the cameramen have their own camera and they bring it on set. So we've, we're always using different cameras from film to film. And uh, Orion Metzger was the director of photography for Midget Zombie Takeover. And I hadn't worked with Orion before. He came in from Chicago and he showed up with this little tiny, what, Canon DSLR, something like this, this little tiny camera. I'm like, oh my gosh, how are we going to shoot a feature film on that? Worked beautifully. And uh, so, yeah, he had his own camera. I've worked with uh, Eric Lassie, who's the uh, editor of Midget Zombie Takeover. He was the director of photography for The Worst Movie Ever. He had his own camera. Alan Day Green has shot some films for me. He had his own equipment. Nick Falls, uh, the director of photography for Therapist, he had his own camera. So I own a microphone. That's what <laughs> I own. So. See, I knew my question would come back to me. So because you worked with so many people that have never been in a film before, was it, did you shoot the film in order or did you shoot it out of order? And was it hard for people who haven't been in film before to get in character in specific scenes if they were shot out of order? Yeah, we were absolutely out of order. We basically shoot by location. Uh, you know, we had a bunch of scenes you know, on the hot tub. We'll shoot all those at once or on the deck by the hot tub, get all those shot. And then we'll, okay, we got these these three scenes that take place in the kitchen. Let's shoot the kitchen scenes. Whoever's in them, come on, you know, come mm -hmm. on over. Uh, or when we were shooting in the family room. So we mostly moved from location to location. The one exception with that would be the zombies were only on set for one day with midget zombie takeover. So we had to save, and that was the last day of the shoot. And we had to save all the zombie scenes, obviously, for that last day of the shoot. And so, therefore, we were just running all over basically the house and yard where we, where we shot, you know, getting those scenes taken care of. But for the most part, uh, I group it on location, especially in this case because everyone was just staying at the house. And uh, if we're doing a shoot uh, for, like, the worst movie ever, it's, you know, somewhat on location. But then I also try to group the cast members so they only have to be on set for like two to four hours each because it gets really boring as a cast member if you're on set for eight or ten hours and you shoot one scene at you know nine in the morning then you got to wait till four in the afternoon to your next scene so sometimes I will group a particular actor or actresses scenes together so they can get in and out quickly so they don't have to waste a whole day just sitting around you know with nothing to do very cool so where else is midget zombie takeover playing at yeah, we've already screened in the D in the Washington D.C. area, L.A., San Antonio, Fort Collins, Colorado. Uh, we have dates coming up uh, this weekend, uh, which I don't know if we'll be on air yet by then. But we will. Uh, yeah, we will. April, it's, it's going up tonight, Brad. Uh, Sunday, <laughs> Sunday, April twenty-first at noon in Kansas City at the Screenland Crossroads Theater. Then we have a date December or December May second in Denver at the Oriental Theater. Then we have May third and fourth at the Valley Art theater in tempe arizona and we've also been booked into cinema 21 in portland oregon we don't have a date set for that yet and we've also been booked into the roxy theater in london england and we haven't set dates yet for that there one of the theaters actually talking about possibly a one-week run because we begin we've been getting quite a bit of attention from england apparently they are gung-ho for zombies and and bad films and uh so yeah we've gotten a lot of requests for reviews uh, for magazine interviews, website interviews, and we're hoping maybe we can parlay that into a one-week run in London. 
So all the places you've shown your movie so far, what audience had the best reaction to your film? Well, when we had the world premiere at the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia, outside D.C., uh, it was part of the Zombie TV Freakend Festival, and a lot of people were there, and it was raucous, and the crowd just went nuts. It was probably the biggest crowd we've had so far, and they just went crazy over the film. The theater owner, Steve Narangis, you know, told me even before the film was over, he came up to me in the theater. He said, I have never heard this much laughing at a film in all my years of owning a theater. And uh, so that was probably the best reaction because of the combination of how much they loved it and how big the crowd was. We had a sellout. I attended the screening in L.A., and while it wasn't a sellout, uh, we still had a good crowd in there, and they really liked the film. Uh, we even had a screening uh, that was fantastic where there were probably only about 50 people there, but they were so into the film, and they were yelling out at the screen and, you know, and call, <laughs> calling the characters' names and just going nuts. It was like a, a screening of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. That was a lot of fun as well. So in the movies you make, is that the kind of reaction you want from an audience is them yelling at the kids for being stupid and saying, hey, there's midget zombies about to take over this place. Let's, uh, you know, let's get out of here. Is that something you strive for in the kind of films you make? Not with all of them, but but with this film, as I was writing the script, you know, it certainly crossed my mind. Like, you know, this could be a midnight movie type film, you know, where people might be yelling at it. Same thing with the worst movie ever, because uh, with the worst movie ever, which came out a year and a half ago, uh, you know, we've got in quite a few theaters, seven theaters, a number of late night showings. And it's it's a film I tried to make as awful as possible but to be so bad. It was good and which was a challenge in itself. And uh, and, yeah, it's one of those films where I was ho I'm hoping that eventually we st we still get it in theaters here and there. We have a screening set in October for it as a midnight movie. And uh, hopefully it'll be one of those films that as people start to see it more and more. Yes, they will be yelling at the screen and having fun with it and. Maybe even throwing things at screens. That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> Is there a place online where people can catch your old stuff? Um... Since we have distribution deals in place for these films, we can't just let people you know, stream it you know, for free. And we're still working. We haven't gotten DVD deals yet where they can buy it. Uh, they can certainly check out the trailers on YouTube. Or what we do is uh, there are Facebook fan pages for both or for all of uh, the films, Midget Zombie Takeover, The Worst Movie Ever, and To Die Is Hard. And what we do occasionally there, when we don't let the distributor know, is we do promos where, you know, for the next three days, any, anyone who sends us a message and asks to see the film, we'll send them a link to the private viewing page for the film. And we did that just recently with the worst movie ever, and we got a great response, uh, especially Europeans. Europeans seem to really be <laughs> liking the worst movie ever. And so, yeah, if, if people are interested in seeing these films, like the films on Facebook, again, To Die is Hard, The Worst Movie Ever, and Midget Zombie Takeover, and keep an eye out for when we'll do some, like that, occasional posting. Uh, we also got uh, Promote Horror, a website. Uh, I've been going back and forth with them for a couple of days. We're going to be doing a promotion with them of some sort for Midget Zombie Takeover. And the promotion we might be doing is, you know, the first five or ten people each day for, say, a week who get on Facebook and send us a message, say, I want to see this film. We'll send them for free a link to the private viewing page for the film. So, yeah, most of the distribution deals we have so far are smaller VOD deals. Uh, we have one with us. 
for some of our films with a Spanish language station that's showing uh, occasional English language films. <laughs> and I don't even know where the station is. I just know the distributor said, oh, we'll have a few bucks coming in from them eventually. Do you have to translate a version of your movie for them or do they do that Apparently for you? Apparently they want to show some English language stuff for people who are bilingual or wanting to learn English. And what better way to learn English <laughs> than watching one of my stupid films? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it's kind of tough to get hold of our films at this point because we don't have a lot of big deals for them and we don't have DVD deals yet. Uh, hopefully those are coming down the line, but in the meantime, yeah, become a fan on Facebook, like us on Facebook, and that could be your chance to see the film for free. Or a better way to see it is May 2nd at the Oriental <laughs> Theater in Denver, Colorado at Come from out of state and see it. Come from <laughs> out of state. The real nerds will be there. Will you be there? Hey, Glenn, thanks for stopping by. Did you have any more questions? I'm, yeah. No? Thank you for stopping by for the second time, our first repeat <laughs> guest. In fact, your first interview was so great, it was locked with the Ark of the Covenant, and it will never be found again. <laughs> well, I appreciate yeah. the real nerds having me on. I really Anytime. appreciate the coverage. Yeah, I to thank Eric for oh, yeah, being Eric, here the first time. Unfortunately, Eric he couldn't come back. Eric was here last but... time, and <laughs> he had a wealth of knowledge that will never be heard. <laughs> we feel so bad about it. But thank you again, and especially because it's such a dreary night here in Denver. <laughs> And a local filmmaker, Denver filmmaker, with a Denver podcast. <laughs> <laughs>